Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, February 9th, 2012. Time to take the pirate ship out. And get back on the high seas. A little under the weather. Managed to come down with a cold during my brief break. But I'm working through it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage, well, of crazy things being said out there, and all of it is needless. Uh, why? Because we have God's Word. <clears throat> and the the job of a pastor is not just to, quote, preach the word, but to rightly handle God's word and to teach sound doctrine. If you've uh, read the writings of the church fathers, and you are aware that the church fathers noted the fact that uh, there's that false teachers, well, they're a dime a dozen. And one of the things they all consistently have in common is that they they come up with their own unique interpretations of God's word. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to preach the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The job of a pastor is to rightly handle, to rightly teach, to rightly cut the word of truth. That's the, the way it's described there in that biblical passage. So the idea here is, is that um, truth matters. Sound doctrine matters. False doctrine can and does, um, well, it shipwrecks people's faiths. Um, in uh, it, it, it leaves people dead and trespasses and sins. It sends them to hell. And uh, there's certain doctrines that we, we would say, well, they, they fall under secondary issues. For instance, okay, whether or not you believe that there's going to be a rapture or not is not a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. Okay, that being the case, if you believe in a pre-trib uh, rapture or a mid-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture, that is not that is not a, a, a category of theology that excludes you from the faith. That would fall under well secondary issues, if you would. Now, something important to keep in mind: your eschatology does reveal something about the gospel that you're being preached. And so uh, eschatology is one of those things that um, if it's a bad, faulty, or incorrect eschatology, 
can uh, undermine or unravel or unweave, if you would, uh, uh, the biblical gospel, and uh, and it may belie a bigger problem. So the idea is, is this, is that secondary issues, <clears throat> although they don't exclude somebody from uh, being considered a brother or sister in Jesus Christ, they are not necessarily, um, well, inert. Uh, you, you understand what I'm saying there? So the idea is, is that uh, the job of a pastor is to soberly, to accurately, to correctly, to reverently handle and dig into the biblical text and to rightly teach it from the pulpit. Because I, we've all heard that, uh, that, that saying that computer programmers use, garbage in, garbage out. Well, that actually applies as well to uh, biblical teaching or to discipling. If you feed people who are Christians in your congregation, a steady diet of garbage. And what I mean by that is false teaching, false doctrine, not uh, letting your mind be held captive by the Word of God, going beyond the bounds of Scripture, teaching things that are, well, number one, uh, don't reflect an accurate handling of the text, instead uh, re reflect, um, well, innovative ideas, dreams, if you would, uh, and, and things that are designed to scratch itching ears, garbage in, garbage out. False doctrine pr produces false converts. False doctrine produces false Christians. False doctrine, at the end of the day, may in fact, uh, well, uh, create... Um, people who are going to hell in a religious system, if you would. So something to keep in mind there. So w what this program is all about is taking what people are saying and comparing it to God's word and making every effort to make sure that uh, what we're hearing, it, 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 testing it to see if it really squares with God's word when we read it in context, with an eye towards what the biblical languages say, with an eye towards or an ear towards listening to what the church has historically said about these passages. Because uh, the one thing I've learned along the way is, is that if it's new, it's probably untrue. Um, in fact, 99.999% of the time, somebody who's come up with a novel insight into a biblical text They've got it wrong. Um, and and so, you know, so the idea is, is that false doctrine in, in Scripture is likened to leaven or to yeast. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so what will happen is, is that over a given period of time, a congregation that is exposed to week after week after week, exposed to leaven, to false teaching, to false doctrine, that little, little bit of leaven will work itself into the dough and literally create a stinking, putrid, ugh, fermented piece of, of dough that is not good. It's infected with the fungus of false teaching. And no alliteration was uh, attempted there in that sentence, but you, you get what I'm saying. So this program is all about helping to teach you to listen carefully, to stop. Okay, listen, just because somebody's a pastor, you know, or, you know, gets up on a stage or has a growing megachurch doesn't necessarily mean that they're really teaching you God's word. One of the things that a lot of people, you know, they, they approach church from this idea that, well, who am I? Who am I to question 
Joel Osteen. Who am I to question Rick Warren or James McDonald or or Perry Noble or Stephen Fur? I mean, those guys have been to seminary. Uh, they're the man of God. <clears throat> they're sinful human beings, just like you and I. And uh, and you got to keep in mind that sin doesn't always fall into the category of sins of the flesh. Okay. Uh, the first sin that we're warned against is the sin of idolatry. And idolatry comes in the form of basically fashioning a God of your own choosing, of your own making, one that you're comfortable with, making your own deity, if you would. And today's idolaters, well, in the church, are very clever because they end up, well, naming their idols Jesus. But when you start asking for information about the God that they believe in or the Jesus they believe in, you quickly learn that the message that their Jesus has to share with the world, uh, the things that he's offering are far different than the Jesus who's described for us from the eyewitness testimony of those who spent three years with him, the disciples, uh, found in the New Testament scriptures. So, uh, yeah, that's the idea. You, you slow things down and you listen and you stop and you learn how to say, okay, is, is this guy rightly handling God's word? Is he telling me the truth? And over again, you want to listen for this message. Are they preaching a crucified and risen Savior for the forgiveness of your sins? Are they preaching God's law in such a way that you are being killed? Your self-righteousness is having a wooden stake pounded into its vampire heart so that you are left with nothing to offer God, nothing whatsoever, but left in a state to basically only ask him for forgiveness and mercy for your sinful rebellion against him. And then are they proclaiming Jesus Christ, the God-man, crucified, scourged, whipped, beaten, bruised, crown of thorns pressed into his head, nailed to a cross, suffered, suffering, bleeding, and dying for your sins and for mine, and calling you to repent and believe that everything that he has done is sufficient for you and for your salvation, that at the end of the day, when the books are opened, you will find all of your sins to be erased by the blood of Christ. All of your sins, gone, and that you will stand before God declared righteous because of everything that he has done for you and nothing that you have done. If that's what you're hearing, that's what the church has proclaimed from the beginning. That's what's found in the New Testament text. That's what the church has taught for centuries, for millennia. If that's what you're hearing, then you're hearing the truth. And you're hearing the truth that saves, not the, tr not the lies that damn. You're hearing sound doctrine that centers on Jesus Christ and what he's done, not a bunch of secret information that so-and-so has figured out and that you can apply to your life to make your life more successful, more significant, more blessing, and things like that. Yeah, that that's not what the biblical passages teach. And it's a dangerous day. It's a dangerous day because um, the church is one of those places where um, you've got to be on your guard against false teachers, false messiahs, false anointed ones, false prophets. But you know what? It's been that dangerous since the beginning of the church, and it will continue to be that dangerous until Christ returns. So, you know, this is what Jesus has told us. We just go with it, and we help attune your ear
to hearing the truth, rejecting lies, calling people to repent of their false doctrine, and insisting that the pastors who serve in your congregation preach Christ rather than themselves. All right, so uh, we're back. Uh, we're back today. Um, I took a few days off. Had to recharge my batteries. Uh, just kind of pull my head out of the fight for a little bit. I dry docked the the PCR, uh, the Pirate Christian ship, and just put it on easy and uh, and spend some time with some friends and just really you know, recharge my batteries. And of course, while I was away, I came down with a cold, which doesn't surprise me considering the fact that. For three weeks, I, I was burning the candle at both ends. But let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to start off today with a um, Patricia King update. And, oh, man. Yeah, Patricia King. Oh, this is the gift that get, keeps on giving. Just got to say, that that's the best way I can think about it. I mean, whenever I'm thinking, you know, it can't get any crazier well, Patricia King, well, she just never lets down. Anyway, uh, we've we've got a special message from Patricia King regarding special vis visitations of God the Holy Spirit for women. So if if you are a woman listening to Fighting for the Faith and you're not familiar with Patricia King's um, ministry, uh, well then um, <laughs> this will be a real treat for you because <laughs> she says some things that are just make me scratch my head and go, huh? <laughs> We're going to take a look at that. Um, we've got Eddie Long update. Uh, we got Eddie Long news is probably the best way to put it. Uh, um, apparently, um, he's abdicated the throne. Um, last week on the program, we played audio from Eddie Long's um, coronation ceremony put on by Rabbi Messer. And, well, as it turns out, uh, Eddie Long has decided that he would uh, abdicate the throne and uh, offer... Some limited apologies, so we're going to take a look at that story. Uh, we've got a story regarding, um, well, the elephant room. And uh, so we we got more elephant droppings to pick up. And then time permitting, uh, we I've got a story from, well, a blog post from uh, Dan Phillips from the Pyromaniacs blog and a Christian Post news story that I'd like to get to today. So, I mean, and then on our hour number two, well, we've got a Mark Batterson sermon review. Uh, Mark Batterson has, well, just in the past few weeks, been working through apparently the principles taught in his brand new book, The Circle Maker. So we, so we got a Circle Maker sermon to review. It, we're basically testing to see if uh, whether Mark Batterson is properly handling God's word and teaching what the Bible teaches regarding prayer. So we've got a lot of ground to cover today. Normal episode of Fighting for the Faith. Fuzzy bunny slippers, if you have the ability to kick your feet up and put those on, they do enhance your listener experience under one caveat, and that is, is that it's not really hot weather in your neck of the woods. They do have a tendency to overheat your feet if you're wearing them during warm weather. And, of course, if you like to, well, enjoy an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith, we don't have a problem with that. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper, and that requires us to do this. So, um, all of you women out there, um, we've got a special word from God given to Patricia King just for you. I hope you're sitting down because you're going to be needing to be sitting down while listening to this. Uh, here's Patricia King to explain. 
Hello there. I have a special prophetic word for women today. So if you're a woman watching this, um, get ready to receive an infusion of his power and some. Uh, so if you're a woman listening to this, you're going to receive a special infusion of God's power. Do tell. Great encouragement. In fact, at the end of this clip, I'm going to be praying for you. And if you're a man watching this, well, you know, get ready to receive the word so that you can go and tell the women about it. Yeah. What the Lord specifically told me is that he's going to be visiting women. Okay. So God's going to be visiting women. Okay. In this coming year in a very powerful way. Powerful visitations of women. In fact, there's going to be impregnation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, you did not just say that. Hang on a second, I gotta back this up just a smack. In this coming year, in a very powerful way. In fact, there's going to be impregnation of vision. Okay, so, oh, no, 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 she did not just say. Okay, so God's gonna be visiting women this year in a very powerful way and impregnating them with vision. Yeah, here's what this reminds me of. He's climbing your windows, he's snatching your people up. Yeah, okay, so, um, hide your kids, hide your wife. God's going to be visiting women and impregnating them with dreams and visions, of course, but... This is just weird. And the fulfillment of vision in and through women's lives. And what I saw was a vision of, of uh, women seeking the Lord and worshiping the Lord, sitting at his feet. And as they were sitting at his feet, there was this infusion, there was this impregnation of vision. Take oh, this is weird. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is uh, rated NC-17. In place, it was coming right from the heart of God. And then within months, uh, there was going to be a fulfillment of that. <laughs> Could it be like nine months? There would be... Fu ah! She is not doing this. I... <laughs> ah! This is crazy. Anyway, so yeah, um, so... <laughs> Hang on, Antoine Dodson, uh, we've got to go back to this. Hang on a second. We, warning, uh, the God of Patricia King is going to be uh, snatching up your uh, your people and impregnating them, you know. You don't have to come and confess. We're looking for you. We don't find you. We don't find you. So you can run and tell that, run and tell that, run and tell that. Homeboy, home, home, homeboy. Oh, seriously. Seriously, this is what i got to come back to? So, uh, <laughs> so let's get the imagery right. This is from Patricia King. Um, God is going to visit women powerfully. They're going to sit at his feet and he's going to impregnate them with visions and dreams. And then, you know, months later, like nine, uh, the, <laughs> these things will <sighs> really, really, which was shown. And so get ready for a visitation from the Lord when you're in your quiet time, your devotional time, your Bible reading time, your worship times. Yeah, you may not want to be worshiping or doing quiet time alone. Uh, there's going to be specific um, personal visitation from the Lord where he actually reveals to you things that he is going to do in and through your life. And as he shows it to you, say like Mary did, let it be done unto me according. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, by the way, folks, um, it, let, let me let me give you a, a hermeneutical.
principle. Okay, sound biblical hermeneutics understands the distinction between descriptive passages and prescriptive passages. Okay, let me give you an example. Okay, let's go ahead and go with the Mary theme for a second here, because uh, remember, it, uh, the Scripture teaches us that. The angel Gabriel appeared to the Virgin Mary to inform her that God the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and that she would, well, give birth to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the one who was promised to be the seed of the woman going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? So um, that's what we would call a descriptive passage, okay? It is not prescriptive. A prescriptive passage would be something like, uh, thou shalt not kill. This is a prescription from God that governs our behavior and tells us what we ought to do or what ought, what we ought not to do. And so you, it, it, sound biblical hermeneutics requires you to understand the distinction between the two. Because many times what we're seeing here with the false teachers is they are taking descriptive passages and trying to make them prescriptive. And they're not. So here's the deal. I've got good news for you women out there. You don't really need to lock your doors and, you know, and you don't have to worry about being impregnated by God because, well, Mary has already gone through all of that and she gave birth to the Messiah. You don't have to worry. God's not going to hide, you know, get in your window and snatch you up and impregnate you with an idea or anything like that. What Patricia King is doing here is taking a descriptive passage and trying to make it prescriptive uh, through, well, what she believes is a direct revelation from God. This is just utter nonsense. ...to your word, and there will be a connection of the vision that God gives you to what is going to be uh, released and will, will be manifest. And um, a couple of biblical examples that he gave me was one of them was Hannah. And Hannah, as you... Another descriptive passage, not prescriptive. You know, she was, she was barren and she was very sad about it. There... First Samuel chapter 1. There was no fruit in her life and she was crying out. She was very grieved over it. But then all of a sudden, the Lord empowered her to uh, conceive. And then she brought forth Samuel. And Samuel wasn't just an ordinary child. He was the beginning of the prophetic order of Israel. Yeah, and don't worry, um, that the promises that were made to Hannah, well, they're not being made to you because the story of Hannah is a descriptive passage, not prescriptive. And so some of you who have been fruitless or some of you who have not had this visitation yet, when you get the visitation... Yeah, I wouldn't want... <laughs> Yeah, don't want my wife going through this visitation. That's all I can say. And the fruit that's going to come forth from you is not going to be just any ordinary fruit. Now, Hannah, she was wanting a child, and she just, she just wanted a child, you know? And so she said, oh, Lord, give me a child, give me a child. But the Lord gave her more than a child. He gave her a substantial, life-giving um, mandate that was going to change history forever. And so get ready. There's some, some big things on the horizon. In fact, some of you younger women that are watching this right now, you're going to give birth, physical birth, to children in this um, next couple of years that are, are going to be history makers and world changers. And All because of this powerful visitation where you were impregnated, apparently. They're going to be very spiritual, very powerful in the spirit, and they'll know God from an early age. It'll be just like Samuel and Jesus. 
Um, another biblical example is uh, found... Again, notice what she's doing is taking a descriptive passage and somehow making it prescriptive when they're not. This is an example of Bible twisting. In Luke, in the examples of um, Elizabeth and of uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Elizabeth, as you know, through the power of the Spirit... Uh, conceived a child, and there was a visitation to her husband. Yeah, that would be John the Baptist's parents. This, but she again another descriptive passage, not prescriptive. She conceived a child, John the Baptist, who made way for the presence of the Lord, made way for the Messiah. Some of you are going to be uh, receiving mandates and visions from the Lord. They're going to make way for visitation. They're going to make way for encounters, make way for revivals. You'll be the birthers of revival. And then, of course, we have Mary, who was visited by the angel Gabriel and then was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, descriptive passage, not prescriptive. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her and impregnated her from above with the Messiah. Yeah. You know, these are these are massive visitations of women by the Spirit of God. And um, another example that... The- yeah, these are all fine examples from the Bible. Again, they're descriptive, not prescriptive. The Lord gave me, of course, was when he visited, he visited... Um, uh, Martha's house, which was also her sister Mary's house and Lazarus. And he came into the house of Martha. At Martha's invitation, Mary sat at his feet while the visitation was taking place. Martha was serving as the visitation was taking place. Mary was sitting at his feet, drinking of the goodness of the Lord. But that visitation changed the whole house. Because later on, even when their brother died, there was a resurrection that took place that is recorded in the scripture to this day, but also through that resurrection many jews were saved it was through the visitation of jesus christ to the home of the women at the invitation of the women and so this is an hour a great hour for women and in the name of jesus christ i release empowerment yeah no i i'm sorry we're done you don't get to release anything after that prelude um don't want the uh Women folk who are listening to fighting for the faith to experience any kind of spiritual impregnation as a result of whatever it is that you're releasing Whew, that's weird. Okay, um, we are up on our first break. Man, I tell you, just, you know, you, <laughs> things just kept going crazy while I was gone. But, uh, yeah, glad to be back so I can report this to you. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Man, I think I need to go back on vacation. This is just weird. Being good in the sack is not the measure of true Christian sanctification. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. 
Welcome to Build-A-God. How can I help you? Hello. I received a Build-A-God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you. Oh, it really is. Okay, let's get started. The first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway. She has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just, angry, righteous, wrathful? The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now, is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? You know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay affirming, and sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is too. Oh, wonderful! Your goddess is coming along beautifully! Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes! My goddess would let everyone go to heaven. Except for Hitler, Genghis Khan, and good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent! Excellent! Now for the final step. You have to name your goddess. Hmm... I think I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We're back. Uh, warning. Uh, anybody out there claiming that God wants to impregnate you with something? Uh, yeah, that, that story's already been done. You need to run when somebody starts talking like that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 
508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Yeah, that's our trumpet fanfare for uh, Eddie Long. Yeah, yeah, it's just awful. Anyway, if you haven't heard, uh, Eddie Long apparently has abdicated the throne and has issued begun issuing apologies. Uh, the question is, has he issued the right ones? I think this is a fair question to uh to ask uh, from the CNN uh, website, headline reads: Bishop Eddie Long apologizes to Jewish group after Torah ceremony. Um, from the uh, CNN Wire staff, we read: uh, Bishop Eddie Long has apologized to the Anti-Defamation League over an incident in which he was wrapped in a Torah scroll and crowned king. As shown in a video that went viral, the televangelist was wrapped in a Holocaust Torah and crowned king during a recent ceremony at New Birth Missionary Baptist Church in his uh, suburban Atlanta congregation. The ceremony was not my suggestion. This is a quote from Eddie Long. Quote, the ceremony was not my suggestion, nor was it my intent to participate in any ritual that is offensive in any manner to the Jewish community or any group. Furthermore, I sincerely denounce any action that depicts me as a king, for I am merely just a servant of the Lord, Long wrote in a letter dated Saturday. The letter was addressed to Bill Nygut, uh, Southeast Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League, a Jewish group that fights anti-Semitism. Quote, while I believe that Rabbi Ralph Messer has has good intentions during his message at New Birth, I understand that the ceremony he performed on Sunday, January 29th, caused harm to the Jewish community, for which I am deeply sorry Long wrote on Sunday, Nugget acknowledged the apology and said that he was grateful for it. I thought it was a very heartfelt, sincere, humble apology, he told CNN. I was very grateful by Bishop uh, Long apparently recognizing what our concern was. Nugget said he was deeply offended by the fake ritual and by how the Torah was handled during it. Video from the ceremony showed Messer wrapping Long in the Torah scroll which he said was recovered during the Holocaust. He then directed four men to lift a seated long in his chair and parade him before the new birth congregation. He is a king. God's blessed him. He's a humble man, but in him is kingship royalty, Messer shouted. He said during the ceremony that the Torah was priceless, 312-year-old scroll that had been recovered from Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. He said he wanted to honor Long on behalf of the Jewish people and the land of Israel. It was more than that. It was the God of Israel, too. Rabbi Hillel Nori of Congregation Sharith Israel in Atlanta said last week the ceremony was ridiculous. There is no Jewish coronation ceremony where someone is wrapped in a Torah and made a king, he said. We just don't do that. We treat it with deference. Nori said of the Torah, it's not a shawl, not a crown. Don't treat it that way. Nori said Messer doesn't appear to be an ordained rabbi in the Jewish faith. He also doubts that the Torah scroll that Long was wrapped in is actually 312 years old. It had somehow escaped detection in a concentration camp. Yeah, that's right, a fast talker. Long is one of the most well-known uh, televangelists in America, 
At its peak, New Birth had around 25,000 members and long sermons were broadcast around the globe. Two year, two years ago, Long's public image took a hit when four young men accused him of misusing his spiritual authority to coerce them into sexual relations. He settled out of court. Uh, Long's wife, Vanessa, filed for divorce last year. Now, <clears throat> can I point something out here? And that is is that uh, there'd be something missing here. Um yeah, let me let me go back to the beginning of this story here, at the beginning of the CNN story here. Uh, Bishop Eddie Long has apologized to the Anti-Defamation League uh huh, over an incident in which he was wrapped in a Torah scroll and crowned king. As shown in a video that went viral, the televangelist was wrapped in a Holocaust Torah, crowned king during a recent ceremony at New Birth Missionary Baptist. The ceremony, quote, was not my suggestion, nor was it my intent to participate in any ritual that is offensive in any manner to the Jewish community. What about the Christian one? What about the church? Why isn't Eddie Long issuing a full-blown public apology to the church at large and to Christians? He's apologizing to the Anti-Defamation League? What about the church? I just find it just the, the whole thing was preposterous to begin with. It was an absolute flim-flam sham. You know, that's why I played the uh the audio from the song uh, Passamaquoddy from the uh, the the movie Pete's Dragon, you know, from the the snake oil salesman out there, you know, selling his wares. But uh he's he's apologized to the Jewish group, but he hasn't apologized to the church. This <laughs> I just find that to be well, offensive, don't you? We continue. Look out, look out, big elephants on parade. Here they come, hippity-hoppity. Uh, that means we're doing an elephant in the room conference update. Hopefully there's no more elephant droppings to pick up. I'm getting tired of this elephant room thing. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. I can stand the sight of worms and look at microscopic germs. But technicolor pachyderms is really too much for me. <laughs> I am not the type to faint when things are odd or things are quaint. But seeing things, you know. Yeah, all right. That's our pink elephant, our elephant of the room conference update. Uh, so uh, earlier this week, um, James McDonald appeared on uh, Moody Radio on the uh, Chris Fabry live program to discuss issues regarding the elephant room and the, the controversy surrounding his controversial conversation with T.D. Jakes. And uh, I found what um, James McDonald said to be, well, well, odd. That's that's probably the best way I can put it. I've selected a couple of sound bites from uh, Chris Fabry's um, uh, conversation with James McDonald to, well, make the point. Uh, here's James McDonald. No, I would say that probably the real rub comes at this point. 
is is that um, a lot of people have asserted very strongly that they do not believe that T.D. Jakes is a Christian. Right. So in, uh, there's a lot of people out there who've made the assertion that T.D. Jakes is not a Christian. This is where the big rub was, okay, regarding James McDonald's invitation to T.D. Jakes to come have a conversation. Because remember, er, I mean, as soon as he announced it, uh, he announced him as a Christian brother, despite the fact that T.D. Jakes has a long history of teaching modalistic theology regarding the Godhead. Uh, this is, you know, if you want the full-blown history on this, I would recommend listening to the recent program put out by James White and and uh, Alpha and Omega Ministries out there in Arizona, uh, where they he goes through and plays for you audio of T.D. Jakes preaching the modalistic heresy. Okay, now. Here's the deal. Now, I understand that Christians in American evangelicalism uh, somehow their 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 understanding of Christianity of Christian history, for the most part, only goes back to the day when they first became a Christian. Uh, many American evangelicals have a very very limited, if not completely non-existent understanding of church history and the theological battles that took place in the first few centuries after the founding of the church. Um, and modalism was a heresy that there were full-blown theological battles regarding, and they lost. The modalists lost. It was deemed a heresy. And there were creeds and confessions that came out of these theological battles designed specifically to define biblically what the biblical texts teach regarding the godhead and those uh those same creeds that you can you refer we refer to them as the three ecumenical creeds the apostles creed the nicene creed and the athanasian creed uh these were designed specifically to confess what the bible teaches accurately and exclude heretics who would deny what God what God has revealed about himself in scriptures and this you know these these uh creeds these confessions exclude modalists they exclude uh, nestorians eutychians they exclude arians and if you don't know what these what those heresies are um may i suggest you get a good summary uh of uh, of of what the church has gone through in these theological battles and how they were resolved and, and, uh, and make yourself fluent in your understanding of church history, because here's the deal. It's not as if the people who were pointing out that TD Jakes was teaching modalism were doing so without warrant. They were doing so with good evidence and reason to make the claim. And for years, for decades, while well, T.D. Jakes has equivocated and not given straight answers regarding what it is he believes regarding the Godhead. And so along comes James McDonald, and he invites T.D. Jakes to the elephant room, and at the very beginning of this, claims that he's a Christian brother. But we continue. And I would disagree with that uh, adamantly. Crawford Loritz, who's well-known to the Moody family and... Um, and uh, speaks frequently at the Moody conferences, is also a Gospel Coalition member, and he agreed wholeheartedly with me that the assertion that T.D. Jakes is not a Christian is outrageous. And the reason why people are saying T.D. Jakes is not a Christian? Modalism and a false gospel known as the prosperity heresy 
which, by the way, the Elephant Room conveniently omitted any, any, any discussion regarding that. All right. Mark Driscoll, who's also a Gospel Coalition member and a friend of mine, he came and participated in the Elephant Room because he would agree that the assertion that T.D. Jakes is not a Christian is an outrageous assertion, right? So we basically because, well, James McDonald, Crawford Luritz, and Mark Driscoll, they all say it's an outrageous assertion to say that T.D. Jakes is not a Christian, that therefore that means he's a Christian, right? Wrong. Whether or not T.D. Jakes is a Christian is dependent upon what it is that he preaches, teaches, and confesses. And the fact is that the elephant room, T.D. Jakes, gave an equivocal answer. He equivocated. He said he believed in one God and three persons, pretty much if what you mean by that is that by persons you mean manifestations. And manifestations is what? The classic uh, vocabulary used by modalists. So at the elephant room, he did not clarify his position. In fact, he gave an equivocal answer. And even modalists, people who are modalists, thought that he was equivocating. Interesting, isn't it? But so we're supposed to, oh, well, if Driscoll, McDonald, and Crawford Lorette say, well, that it's outrageous to say he's not a Christian, well, then it's outrageous. Yet they never addressed his false gospel. So, um, I wish that I, that had been the ground that I had held, uh, you know, all the way along. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that um, I agree that the Trinity is a non-negotiable. I believe that the Trinity is um, a, a centerpiece, a key pillar that holds up the tent of what biblical uh, orthodoxy and Christianity is. It's not a negotiable point. Um, However, the nuance of how Trinitarian is Trinitarian enough. How Trinitarian is Trinitarian enough. It's strange that he's using that language because that's exactly the language that I used uh, in my blog post from uh, it's all, well, how long ago was this? Hang on a second. Letterofmark.us. That's my blog. Letterofmark, M A R Q U E dot U.S. I put a blog post together on uh, January 28th entitled The Canons of the Elephant Room 2 with basically this the, putting out this assertion that the Elephant Room 2 conference was, in fact, an ecumenical church council and that uh, Christians are bound by the decisions made by the folks in the Elephant Room. And this is exactly what James McDonald is doing here. If you disagree with them, you are anathema. L listen again to The Canons of the Elephant Room 2 Ecumenical Council. Canon number one, if anyone denies that T.D. Jakes is a Trinitarian despite his preference to express his belief in the Trinity using the historic language of Sabellian modalism, they are anathema. That's what he's doing here. Canon two, if any middle-aged white reform guys continue to attack Bishop T.D. Jakes and insist that his confession of the Trinity wasn't theologically clear, they are acting contrary to the gospel and guilty of loving doctrine more than people, and they are anathema. That's what he's doing here. This is what McDonald is doing. Canon 3, the Nicene Creed and Athanasian Creed, although useful and instructive to Christians in centuries past, have been deemed to be too theologically rigorous and exacting for our postmodern age, and any person who insists that Trinitarian theology must be defined by those two creeds are anathema, and any person who confesses that there is one God who exists in three persons and or manifestations, depending on which word they prefer, is Trinitarian. 
Trinitarian enough for us, and their orthodoxy cannot be questioned without acting contrary to the gospel. And last one, the prosperity gospel is not a false gospel. Since we didn't deem it important enough to address in the elephant room too, no one should worry about it. Those who claim the prosperity gospel is a false gospel are haters who are unnecessarily causing division in the body of Christ, and they are anathema. Now, I'm pointing this out to you that I wrote that and posted that on January 28th of 2012. This uh, this interview with Chris Favorly, uh, from what I understand, uh, was broadcast at the beginning of this week, I think back on Monday. Strange that this is exactly what James McDonald is doing. And he's using the weird weird phrase, Trinitarian enough. You are either Trinitarian or you are not. It is, seriously, Trinitarian enough, that's like saying you're pregnant enough. You are either pregnant or you are not. You either hold to the doctrine of the Trinity or you don't. You either believe the truth of what God has revealed about himself in Scripture or you believe a heresy. Trinitarian enough? And notice the person we're talking about here is a man who is supposedly one of the Biggest church leaders of our time. He's got a mega church out there in Dallas, Texas. He's on Trinity Broadcasting Network. Don't you think that our biggest church mega pastors ought to be the most articulate at preaching sound doctrine rather than the least articulate? And it's not as if he doesn't have a history of teaching modalism. He does. Let me back this up and listen again. I think that... um... I agree that the Trinity is a non-negotiable. I believe that the Trinity is um, a, a centerpiece, a key pillar that holds up the tent of what biblical uh, orthodoxy and Christianity is. It's not a negotiable point. Um, however, the nuance of how Trinitarian is Trinitarian enough, and is he Trinitarian enough, this is where, um, you know, um, people get a little bit more exacting and rigorous than I would be comfortable being. But yeah, you know, exacting and rigorous, like in, you know, the Athanasian Creed and Nicene Creed. Isn't it weird that, he, I mean, I am not a prophet. I don't claim to be a prophet, but it's not like I didn't see this thing coming. I saw this thing coming down the tracks from 10,000 miles away. And that's why I put that post together. But let's continue. Just because I don't demand the same level of articulateness about the Trinity from a person to consider them a brother does not mean that I don't think that Trinitarianism is important. Yeah. Yet, if you think Trinitarianism is important and you know that he has a history of teaching the modalistic heresy, then, uh, well, it's going to take more than just mush to confirm that he's a Trinitarian. You understand what I'm saying? I think it's very important. I think it's essential. I think it's central. I think it's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable as long as it's, um, well, as long as your definition of the Trinity isn't theologically rigorous, like in the creeds. But um, what I don't feel the necessity of is holding people to a creedal preciseness about their Trinitarianism in order to see them as a Christian. Yeah, see, that's the thing. The purpose of the creeds was to keep people from having personal Trinitarianisms, but instead come up with a with a summary of what the Bible teaches that all Christians are beholden to. That's the idea behind the creeds. 
So yeah, he it, it, listen. T.D. Jakes is Trinitarian enough because he thinks the Trinity is essential. It's a, it's a non-negotiable doctrine. As so long as you're not theologically rigorous in your definition of the doctrine of the Trinity, like you know, using the Athanasian Creed. Mm-hmm. That's why I put these canons together back in uh, in January because it was clear what he was going to do, and you know what? He's doing it. And uh, T.D. Jakes, uh, though people have circulated summaries of the discussion as though they were transcripts, there is no transcript out there of what was actually said. Yeah, listen to that. L- uh, let me back that up. Listen to what he's saying here. He's at this point basically trying to say that, listen, the people are out there uh, circulating summaries, but there's no official transcript. There's no, there's no transcript. So you, you, no one knows for sure what he said except for us who were there because the people, the bloggers, you know, the, the, the transcripts that they're, they're circulating. Well, there's no transcripts. What, uh, interesting tactic here. So now, you know, if you, if you uh, pull into a blog or a website that claims to, you know, have given a, a transcription of what occurred in the elephant room, well, you know, there's no transcripts. So you can't trust them. And, uh, T.D. Jakes, uh, though people have circulated summaries of the discussion as though they were transcripts, there is no transcript out there of what was actually said. And he did in the uh, uh, conversation affirm that he believes in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally existing in three persons. And then he said he's not as comfortable with the term persons, which is not a biblical term, but is a, a historic formation of what the Bible does, in fact, teach about uh, the Godhead. So it gets pretty- yeah, no, and then he said that he prefers the word manifestation, which historically is the word used by modalists of all stripes. Nuanced at that point. Yeah, so this is nuance. So on the one hand, he says... T.D. Jakes is Trinitarian enough, and, and, the, and the Trinity is, well, it's vital, it's important, it's not negotiable. Only so long as you don't go with a rigorous definition like, you know, found in the Athanasian Creed or Nicene Creed. Uh-huh. In, in other words, uh, those Christians of centuries past in the, you know, the age of the Church Fathers who fought these battles and hammered those creeds out to protect the Church from the heretics, they were just haters. They were unloving and unkind, and um, maybe what they should have done is embrace the Sabalian modalists. James McDonald then got, well, a question from a caller uh, regarding two things, the issue of race and the issue of, um, well, um, the, the prosperity heresy, which was never addressed at the um, Elephant Room 2 conference at all, and we find out why. But here's uh, James McDonald talking about the race issue, and this is interesting. That's the best way I can put it. Listen to this. Okay. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that uh, Bishop Jakes's ethnicity, Sheldon, um, mm-hmm. oh, no. is a point. To, I just don't even think it's relevant to the subject. I think that the trying to make that part of the subject, um, you know, is very troubling to me. Okay, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it James McDonald who released that video on his blog site with him having a conversation with the three African-American pastors, one of them being Brian Loritz, where they, not the detractors, not the critics of the Elephant Room of the Elephant Room 2, but they brought up the race card. They placed the they played the race card. So why is it that he's not admitting to the fact that, hey, I'm sorry. We played the race card. 
yeah, shouldn't have done that. Here he's saying it's it's it, t- Bishop Jake's ethnicity has nothing to do with this. And let's let's listen to his words again here. Um, is a point. I just don't even think it's relevant to the subject. I think that the trying to make that part of the subject, um, you know, is very troubling to me. I think yeah, but you're the one who made it, who brought it up. You're the one who posted that video where the card was played. So you're so are you saying that your actions and the things that you posted on your website James are troubling to you? I mean the, or is he blaming the race card on the people who are critical of the elephant room? Because history demonstrates that he's the one who played it. I mean this is unbelievable. Let me play that again. I think that the trying to make that part of the subject um, you know, is very troubling to me. I don't think it has anything to do with his ethnicity at all. And there I think was... we all have to live by the same standard, you know, of what God's Word says. We all have to live by that same standard. And, there were some um, in the uh, Gospel Coalition, though, James, that, that were of uh, African-American descent who did have a, and there were some probably who didn't, but there were some who had a problem with him because of that very issue, not just the modalism, the Trinity issue, but also name it and claim it, prosperity gospel, whatever you want to call it. Well, well Go uh, two, two things on that point, Chris. Um, first of all, uh, some of the members of the Gospel Coalition who objected to T.D. Jakes did not object to his theology because of his ethnicity, but they did object to the impact his ministry had on a particular ethnicity. And that's very different. Yes. And and uh, then secondly, um, I can only say that we didn't get into the issue of prosperity theology uh, in the elephant room in a public way. But uh, many were exhorting us that some of these conversations should be private, and all I can say is is that Bishop Jakes would not currently accept the designation of prosperity preacher or word of faith preacher as an accurate description of what he believes currently. Now, his ministry will have to bear that. But he hasn't publicly repented of his prosperity preaching. I, I mean, it's... Okay, I mean, seriously, I mean, this would be like me having a private conversation with somebody and saying, you know, listen, you know, I understand that every time I get on the radio, um, you know, it, it sounds like I'm a Lutheran. I keep quoting Lutheran theology. I keep talking about the Lutherans and stuff like that. But I don't know if Lutheran is really an accurate way to describe what I really currently believe. Okay, that person at that point, if I said something like that, should be scratching their head and going, What? What are you talking about? Because every time you go to, you know, you get on the air, you speak in public, you you basically portray yourself as a well a Lutheran. Um, if if you're going to turn around and say that that's not an accurate description of what it is that you believe, then don't you think you should like you know say that you're not a Lutheran anymore? You know, if if T.D. Jakes privately said to James McDonald and to uh, Mark Driscoll and Crawford Loritz and the other guys from the Elephant Room that that he doesn't think that the uh, the, the the term prosperity preacher accurately says what he what he believes about himself, well then don't you think he has a responsibility to repent publicly of the prosperity heresy, the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, because it's not like there isn't you know video and audio out there circulating on the internet of him preaching and teaching the prosperity heresy. You know, like this. Uh-huh. Uh, shake your neighbor and tell him I hear something. I, 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 I 
I would have died, but I heard something. I almost quit, but I heard something. I like to die, but I heard something. I nearly fainted, but I heard something. I almost walked away from God, but I heard something. I almost threw in the towel, but I heard something. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? I want to talk to somebody tonight who hears something in your spirit greater than what you see in your life. Your life may be going crazy, but your spirit is talking about productivity, abundance of rain, and showers of blessing. One of the hardest things there is to do when you get the sound is to tell anybody that you heard it because you sound like a fool when you tell somebody standing there on dry parts ground the ground you're standing on is cracking cactuses are dying roses won't bloom flowers have lost their fragrance green grass has turned brown and you up there preaching about rain talking about I see the church full and five families just walked out. <laughs> oh, but it won't happen till you tell it. Oh, that's bad right there. Did you hear what I said? It won't happen till you tell it. As long as you keep it to yourself, ain't nothing gonna happen for you. I used to think that Joseph was wrong when he told his brothers about his dream. But oh, he wasn't wrong. It won't happen till you tell it. You got to talk what you believe. You got to talk what you believe. That's uh, the mm, prosperity heresy. Name it and claim it. Word of faith. You got to say it to yourself. If you have it is faith, you got to speak what you believe. You got to speak what you believe. So three people and say, tell somebody, tell somebody. Now, let me tell all of you socialize something. You're not telling them to get them to collaborate, support, or encourage your dream. You need to tell them so that there is a witness that you heard it before you saw it. You know, it's not like he was privately, you know, teaching this, you know, inside of his closet, you know, and just believing it inside of his head. He was preaching this to thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people. Put your hand on your hips and say, I don't care what you say. There we 
we go. Okay, so let's continue. That out. I'm, I'm not here to defend him or to stick up for his various errors, and I don't want to minimize error that is significant. All I'm saying is... Well, you minimize it by not even bringing it up at all. It's not like there isn't sufficient evidence to uh, have shown him and said, here's what you've said. Um, do you believe this heresy or not? And if not, will you publicly repent of it and repudiate it so that people won't believe the lie? Is, is that he, as of two weeks ago, would not accept those terms in private conversation as accurate descriptors of what he believes. Yeah, so just because he wouldn't believe, you know, he wouldn't accept them in private conversation of, as being accurate of what he believes, doesn't mean that that's not an accurate description of what it is that he's teaching. You see what I'm saying? So anyway, um, yeah, there we go. Um, more elephant droppings, uh, just all kinds of fun stuff. Hopefully we're done cleaning up after that elephant room too because it's just been a mess. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. Man. I have to call myself a prophet, Chris Roseboro. Prophet pirate, apparently, because, you know, I saw that coming 10,000 miles away. Man, don't want those rigorous definitions of the Trinity, and Bishop T.D. Jakes is Trinitarian enough, and... Uh Uh-huh, yeah, right. Moving along. The good, the bad, and, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via National Community Church, Washington, D.C., Mark Batterson presiding. 
This is from the Circle Maker Sermon Series currently being preached there. This is the first sermon in the series entitled Desperate Measures. I want you to pay close attention to what he does here because this is what we call the heresy two-step. He'll read a biblical passage about prayer but then not teach anything that's in it. And so also keep in mind, earlier in the program we made the distinction between prescriptive and descriptive passages. This is a passage that is prescriptive, that he's going to read. Prescriptive. And yet he's not going to preach what it prescribes. He's not going to teach what it prescribes. In fact, he's going to read it and change the subject in order to focus on a couple of words or a phrase and then just completely ignore the prescription given in the passage. It's weird. I mean, false teachers, they take descriptive passages and make them uh, prescriptive. They take prescriptive passages and ignore the prescription and then go on and preach about themselves. Mark Batterson being an example of that. All right, so let's uh, kill the music here. Without any further ado, here is Mark Batterson and his uh, sermon on the Circle Maker entitled Desperate Measures. Here we go. Every book has a backstory. There's a moment when an idea is conceived in the imagination of an author, and that idea is destined to become a book. So before I tell you the story of the Circle Maker, let me tell you the backstory. Up until my senior year of college, I'd only read a dozen books not assigned by a teacher. Most of them were sports biographies with lots of pictures and stats. I just wasn't a reader. Then during my senior year of college, I was on a road trip, and I picked up an 800-page biography of Albert Einstein. I fell in love with reading. Well, Since then, I've read thousands of books. In fact, I'm running out of bookshelves. But I have one shelf with a few dozen of my favorites. One of them is titled The Book of Legends. It's a collection of stories from the Jewish Talmud, and it contains the teachings of Jewish rabbis passed down from generation to generation. Because it contains more than a millennium worth of wisdom, reading the Book of Legends feels like an archaeological dig. Well, I dug down about 202 pages when I unearthed what may as well have been a, a buried treasure. It was the legend of Honey the Circle Maker, and it forever changed the way that I pray. It gave me a new vocabulary, a new methodology. Well, it was the first century BC, and a devastating drought threatened to destroy the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were a distant memory, and it seemed like God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an old sage who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honey, and even if the people could not hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. Famous for his ability to pray for rain, the people pleaded with Honey to pray for a miracle. With a six-foot staff in his hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass, 90 degrees. 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. When he was done turning, Honey stood inside the circle that he had drawn. Then he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven. With the authority of the prophet Elijah who called down fire from heaven, Honey called down rain. 
He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. The word sent a shudder down the spine of all who were within earshot that day. And then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. The people rejoiced over each raindrop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with the spring. Okay, I want to make something clear here in case you haven't figured it out. This is not found in the Bible. This is supposedly from the book of legends. He lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that the people had to flee to the Temple Mount. But Honey still wasn't satisfied. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of thy favor, blessing, and graciousness. Well, the downpour turned into a perfectly proportioned sun shower. Each raindrop, a tangible token of God's grace. Honey was almost excommunicated for his prayer because some members of the Sanhedrin believed that it was too bold. Listen, God is not offended by our bold prayers. He's offended by anything less. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. Okay, I need to back this up and I need to challenge it because I want you to listen carefully to what it is that he's saying. What you just heard should have picked your ears apart and made you go, whoa, what did he just say? Listen again to what he just said. Here we go. Grace. Honey was almost excommunicated for his prayer because some members of the Sanhedrin believed that it was too bold. Listen. God is not offended by our bold prayers. He's offended by anything less. God honors bold prayers. So God is offended by anything less than a bold prayer. God is offended. So if you don't pray bold prayers, you are offending God. Quick question. Do you know of any biblical passages that say that God is offended when you don't pray bold prayers? At this point, keep in mind who it is that you're offending. Mark Batterson is making the claim that you are offending God. And when I read in the biblical passages, in the Old Testament, especially, you know, like from the Exodus onward, a bad things happen in the Bible to people who offend God. In fact, offending God is a sin. So here Mark Batterson, without a single passage of Scripture, is claiming that you are sinning and offending God. The kind of stuff that, that in well, in times past, what God would cause the, well, the earth to open up and for people and you know, entire families to be swallowed by the earth. Or when God was offended by Korah's rebellion, he burned them alive using incense censures, um, you know, things like that. So uh, keep in mind, you're offending God if you're not praying bold prayers. This is what Mark Batterson is claiming. Again, hear it again. Sanhedrin believed that it was too bold. Listen, God is not offended by our bold prayers. He's offended by anything less. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God.
and eventually Honey was honored for the prayer that saved a generation. It was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle that he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol and the legend of Honey the Circle Maker stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. I couldn't be more excited about beginning the new year with a new series on prayer. Uh, let me tell you something. This one can't be taught. This one can only be caught. You know how you learn to pray? You pray. And that's why we're doing a 21-day prayer challenge but I do want to offer some teaching that I believe can help frame the next month and, in fact, frame the next year. And uh, let me just say this. It's okay if you talk back a little bit this weekend. Uh, I'm excited about what God's going to speak to us. Welcome to uh, everybody at all seven of our locations, those who might be tuning in by podcast or webcast. Um, let's get this thing started. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to lead. Let's try that again. He said to them, uh, Lord, teach us to preach. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, teach us to start a 501c3 nonprofit. <laughs> teach us to write worship mu music. Was Teach us to open a dream center. Teach us to do conferences. Wait. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now notice he's reading a prescriptive text. The prescription is when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. So this is a prescriptive, not a descriptive text. So let's see if his prescription, that, he, that well, the prescription that he's reading here from the biblical text is what he prescribes from his sermon. Listen in. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Oh, I like this. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. 
The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This past Easter, I was invited to the President's Easter prayer breakfast at the White House. The couple of hundred other uh, pastors, religious leaders from across the country. I had the shortest commute, I think, and uh, it was a it was a pretty amazing thing. I've been to the White House a few times, but you know, just the process of going through security, you know, this is kind of special. And uh, you walk in, and you know, there's a part of me is okay. Notice he read a biblical text, and now he's talking about himself. Again, this is a sermon that's supposedly about praying and learning how to pray and the importance of prayer. And he just read a prescriptive text that tells us how to pray from none other than Jesus himself. Is this what he's going to prescribe? We made our way up to the banquet hall where the breakfast was to be held. Um, I wanted to pop into a couple of offices or walk down some hallways and explore a little bit. Thought that probably wouldn't be the best idea. Made my way through, and I don't know, one of the one of the military bands was playing. And they had set out a buffet breakfast for us, and we would get our plate, go in, sit down at assigned seats, and then the program would begin. Well, there was a, a gentleman, a 76-year-old African-American pastor who had actually served alongside Martin Luther King Jr., uh, obviously many, many years ago, uh, who was asked to pray for the meal. Now, I'll be honest. When it comes to praying for food, I have a pretty simple philosophy. Pray as quickly as you can. Because <laughs> I like eating food while it's hot. I, I kind of believe in that. It's a tenet of my faith system. And, and so I was expecting, I mean, just, you know, let's uh, bless the food and let's eat. And uh, he launched into a prayer that was absolutely remarkable. It, it was like it was deep fried in the faithfulness of God. I don't know how else to say it. He prayed with such a familiarity with God that it was like he was his best friend. And he prayed with such authority. I mean, he just got, there was some get up and go in this prayer. I mean, it was like he had just walked out of the throne room. And when he said amen, I turned to two friends who were next to me, Andy Stanley, who pastors a church in Atlanta, and Louis Giglio, who um, leads the passion movement. I turned to him and I said, I feel like I've never prayed before. I mean, have you ever had one of those moments where you're around someone who knows how to pray? They are praying in a way with a familiarity, with an authority that, wow, maybe I need to recalibrate. Maybe there is an intensity or form of prayer that I have yet to discover. I wonder if that's how the disciples fell around Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because he was praying and they were listening to him pray and he prayed with such familiarity with his father and prayed with such authority. 
that the disciples who had prayed their entire, how do we know they prayed? They're fishermen. You ever been in a boat for like more than an hour without a bite? What are you going to do? You're going to pray for fish. We know they prayed. You know, and seriously, I mean, they grew up going to the synagogue. They knew how to pray. They had been praying their entire life. And it's like they have never prayed before. Lord, teach us to pray. Let me say it in the simplest terms possible. Nothing is more important or more powerful than prayer. It's the difference between you fighting for God and God fighting for you. It is the difference between the possible and the impossible. It is the difference between intimacy and ignorance. It is the difference between fear and faith, between success and failure. It is the difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. And there is a big difference between those two things. Now, I'm trying to feel where we're at right now. My guess is some of you are feeling like, okay, here we go. We're going to do a series on prayer, and I'm going to feel bad because I don't pray as much as I could or should. Or... Now, I'm going to give this prayer thing another shot, and it's going to be another false start. Or, man, I don't know if I buy into this thing. Like, this is your timeline. This is not my timeline. Like, you set this date for this series. This, but I was going to do it next month. Listen to me. I don't know where you're at, but let's, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. We are approaching this series. We are approaching a 21-day prayer challenge with a very simple mindset. Listen to me. It is our mantra. It's our motto. It's our mojo. It's our melikaliki maka. It's, maybe it's not the last thing, but it is all of those things. Lord, teach us to pray. God, teach me to pray. So let's get this out of the way. How many of you this past year... Uh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> seriously, you just read the text. Okay, uh, Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, okay, here it is. You ready? Here's the prescription from Jesus. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. There's the prescription. We know what to do, right? We now know how to pray because Jesus prescribed a prayer. Are you praying it? Have you prayed it? Do you pray it at church? Do you pray it at home? Do you pray it with your family? Do you pray? You see what I'm saying here? Yeah. Jesus actually prescribed a prayer. Got it? So, um, hmm. We continue. 2011 year is, is past. How many of this past year you feel like you prayed too much? Let me see your hands. Every location, everybody. My guess is that not a single hand went up. Because I don't know anybody who feels like they pray enough, let alone too much. And then, is there anybody here, like all, all locations, everybody's participating? Anybody that feel like your prayers are just too powerful? 
like, man, I can't remember the last time I had a swing and a miss. Every one of them just out of the park. Unbelievable. I'm batting a thousand. No, none of us. See, I think what I want to suggest is that there are new dimensions of prayer. There are new dialects of prayer. That there, there is maybe even a new way to pray. Just as six times the psalmist said, sing to the Lord a new song. Would it be okay for me to say, pray to the Lord a new prayer? Why? Because God doesn't want to be worshipped out of left brain memory. Man, when you really love someone, I love my wife, you find new ways to say it, don't you? You don't say it the same old way. Listen, I am so excited about where God is going to take us, but the key is this. We're all learners, and we're all in this thing together. Now, let's just say it together, okay? Lord, teach us to pray. I kind of caught you off guard there, didn't I? How about a one, two, three? Could we do that? I mean, Georgetown probably got it, but everybody else, let's give it a try. Okay? Uh, One, two, three. Lord, teach us to pray. I tell you what, let's get that in our spirits. Let's get on our knees and say, God, teach us to pray. Now, I want to make two official, uh, official declarations at the beginning of this year. Can I do that? I mean, I'm up here, so I guess I can. Okay, official declaration number one, 2012 is officially the year of prayer. YLP, year of prayer. It just is. I'm sorry, it's not up for debate. It just is. And I could not be more excited as we begin the year in prayer and as then we establish that spiritual discipline, that God habit, and we continue praying. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. It's a year of prayer. And uh, second official declaration is we're going to do it. Now, I have nothing against prayer. I mean, there's nothing wrong with challenging people to pray for 21 days or for any amount of time. I'm glad they're doing this rather than a sex challenge. It's far more respectable, per se. Um, The issue is, is he teaching people to pray the way Jesus prescribed them to pray, or is he actually using this biblical text to springboard into a, well, a way of prayer that is not prescribed in Scripture. You understand what I'm saying? There's a big difference. A 21-day prayer challenge. And, in fact, I'm going to go a step further. We're not just going to do it this year. Guess what? We're going to do it next year. And then we're going to do it the year after that, and then we're going to do it the year after that. I'm going to tell you why, because I'm tired of just, it, it, it's just wrong, because every year I've done, like, this prayer and fasting thing, and, man, I have failed at leadership. And I apologize because I've not led us corporately in that same kind of discipline. You know what? That changes. I I just think every year for us needs to begin. We're just going to mark off January 10 to January 31, and it's going to be a season of prayer and fasting for us as a church. Now, listen, I know not everybody's going to participate, but I want to challenge everybody to participate. And here's the good news. We're approaching as learners, right? And so this is not about, okay, let's get our agenda together before January 10th so that we can tell God exactly what he needs to do for us this coming year. No, this is about getting God's agenda for us. You know, I didn't even set any New Year's resolution. I always do New Year's resolution. I didn't even do it this year. Why? Because I'm going to wait until January 31st. Why? Because I want to pray about it. Because I want to know that what I am resolving in my spirit was conceived by the Spirit of God. See, here's the... Hmm. Yeah, so he, he's going to be impregnated by the Spirit, too. Weird.
the trick. And if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, then this one might be worth writing down. Like the, the first uh, objective is prayer is praying about what to pray about. Because I think some of us, like, we just pray and, like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And then we pull for those cliches that we've heard, you know, at church. Um, when the disciples came to Jesus and asked them to teach, him to teach them to pray, did Jesus say, okay, first step, pray about what you're supposed to pray about? Nope. So what was the point of reading this biblical passage again? To other places. And then it's just empty. And, and what I'm saying is, like, these 21 days are about praying about what to pray about. I've said this before. You don't need to hear a word I have to say. But you need a word from the Lord. See, we, there, there's a difference between kind of I hope this or I wish that and saying there's a promise in Scripture that I am circling in prayer and I am staking claim to the promise of God. Why? Okay, next question. Where in Luke or Matthew or Mark or John does Jesus, when asked about praying, talk about circling things and staking claims and claiming promises and things like that? Hmm? Um, that's not part of the prescription given here in uh, the gospel uh, text that he's preaching from regarding how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, say... Yeah, nothing here about circling or asking God to pray about what you need to pray about. None of that. Isn't it weird that he's not actually giving the biblical prescription for prayer? Weird. Why? Because then you can have a holy confidence because it's God's word and God's word doesn't return void. See, that's what I'm talking about. We need to pray about what to pray about. Not about your agenda for God. It's about getting God's agenda for you. Um, and uh, we gave you some of these uh, prayer cards. Where in the biblical text does it say that we need to pray about getting God's agenda for us personally? Nowhere. I, I can't think of a single passage. Look like this, 21-day prayer challenge. Um, Lord, teach us to pray. And on the back, um, you'll see... Uh, something circled, then, then lines to write in. And here's why we did that. When we gather together um, in the mornings to pray or at prayer and praise, or even uh, during our weekend messages, listen, if the Spirit of God starts speaking to you, then you please tune me out and you start writing down what you think the Spirit of God's speaking to you. See, we So you're supposedly be, going to be getting direct revelation from God, you know, speaking things to you. And when that happens, just tune him out. It doesn't matter if he's reading from the Bible or not. Uh, the, those direct downloads are far more important. Mm -hmm. Ask Patricia King. We got to figure out what we're going to circle in prayer. And so I'm believing that by the end of the 21 days, guess what? All of us will have at least one of these. And some of us will have a dozen of these. And, and what we'll have are things that God, we are going to be circling these things in prayer. Now, why do you need to write it down? Well, for one, because the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. And two, big problem with prayer is this, that too many of us ask God for something, and then by the time God answers, we forgot that we asked for it, and then we fail to give him the praise for that answered prayer. Yeah, and the other thing is, is that, you know, Melissa Fisher, it's been a long time since she's made a video, so the Holy Ghost answering machine isn't even working right. So, I mean, that's another good reason to write these things down.
Because we forgot we even asked for it in the first place. And so we need to write these things down. In fact, I just brought it with me because um, it might be something you want to do. This is my 2012 prayer journal, and uh, I am digging it. Um, man, I'm starting to write things down that uh, as the Lord begins to give me some revelation. And then what's great is I have something to go back to. Right, not the Bible, but his direct revelation journal. Did Jesus mention anything about direct revelation and writing down things down in a journal when the disciples asked him how to pray? Weird, huh? I mean, it's like his, as if he read this biblical text and then just completely ignored it. Weird. And so one thought is that maybe, uh, maybe just maybe, you start a prayer journal as a way to engage in the next 21 days and to begin to write down the things that God is impressing on your heart. All right, Lord, teach us to pray. All right, now let's look at this. Now, this is important because this is all part of learning how to pray circle maker prayers. Circle maker prayers involve you getting direct revelation from God. You first begin by asking God what you need to pray for. So you begin to pray for what you need to pray for, and then you get those direct downloads from God, and you write them down and circle them, right? Did Jesus prescribe this in this gospel text? Nope story in verse 5. It's kind of the heart of this passage, and it's where we're going to spend most of our time. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, go to him at midnight, lend me three loaves of bread. Friends come on a journey. I have no food. The friend says, no, I'm tired. We're in bed. The door is locked. But then you kind of shameless audacity. You keep knocking, keep asking. Shameless audacity. I'm not sure what translation he's reading from there. The Greek word for that is Anadea, which means lack of, of sensitivity to what is proper, carelessness or impudence, shamelessness or persistence, that kind of thing. Impudence, ignoring uh, standard convention. Okay, and notice he's ignoring what Jesus prescribed for us to do in prayer. That's found in verses 2 through 4. And now he wants to key in on the word shameless audacity or something like that. Um yeah, so ignoring the prescription so that he can basically give us his own prescription. We continue. But because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. What an interesting depiction of prayer. Jesus is essentially saying that there are times when you need to take desperate measures. It's late at night. And, and, you know, you don't do this. Well, I guess for our more urban locations, maybe. There's a lot of noise around our house around midnight, actually. But usually not the door knocking. Um, but Jesus saying, knock on that door and keep knocking until you get what you want. What, what is he saying? I think he's saying that there are times where you need to pray and you need to not take no for an answer. Oh, but ah, I don't know. Like, isn't that a little demanding? I don't know. I'm just reading the Bible. Shameless audacity. See, here's what's interesting to me. I think sometimes we are afraid that our bold prayers will somehow offend God. I promise you this. The only thing that's offensive to God is anything less. Because what do we do? We pray for things that are just kind of barely at the outer reaches of what we can accomplish. 
Man. Weird, because Jesus said, when you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Yeah, a lot of audacity there, don't you think? Forgive us our trespasses. Now that's bold and audacious. Forgive us our sins. Yeah. As we forgive those who are indebted to us, lead us not into temptation. Notice he's ignoring the prescription, focusing in on this idea of um, uh, anadea, which means impudence or, you know, you know, impudence, uh, shamelessness, persistence, that kind of stuff. And um, really focusing on that. Yeah, we should boldly approach the throne of God, begging and pleading our case with him. But he's ignoring the prescription. It's as if the prescription doesn't exist. And say, would you help us do what? Well, we could probably do it ourselves, but would you help us anyways? No. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that are way beyond your ability and pray things like healing. You can't do that, but God can. Things like miracles, things like God delivering on his promises. That's what I'm talking about. It's about praying and asking for those things with shameless audacity. There are times that you need to do whatever it takes. You need to do something crazy. You need to do something risky. You need to do something yeah, you know, praying for daily bread, that's risky, yeah. Different. Fifteen years ago, that's exactly where I was. Now, we have the luxury during this series. And now he's, uh, well, preaching about himself. ...to have uh, some video that was shot for us that really wasn't for us, but I think it's okay if... We share something. So instead of me telling you some of this story, would it be okay if I showed you uh, this story? I want to go back 15 years to the very beginning of this church. And some of you are new to NCC, so it might be a helpful little history. And uh, I want to share this with you, and then I'll come back and talk about it. Fifteen years ago, National Community Church was meeting in a D.C. public school on Capitol Hill. There was nothing easy about our first year. Total church income was $2,000 a month, and it cost $1,600 just to rent the school. On a good Sunday, we'd start with 8 or 10 or 12 people. That's when I learned to close my eyes and worship, because it was too depressing to open them. To be honest... I didn't really feel like a pastor. The church didn't really feel like a church. I felt underqualified and overwhelmed, but that's when God has you right where he wants you. Why? Because it forces you to pray like it depends on God. It forces you to your knees. It forces you to live in raw dependence upon God. And raw dependence is the raw material out of which God performs his greatest miracles. Well, one day as I was dreaming about the church that God wanted to establish here. on, Can I point out something really obvious here? Um, if we prayed the prayer that Jesus prescribed here in this text, give us this day our daily bread, um, then we would realize no matter what comes in, uh, subsistence living or uh, a huge amount of money where we can you know save up for retirement and things like that, 
Every penny is miraculously provided to us. See, if you would just pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, that he prescribed in this text, then we would know that we're totally dependent upon him. On Capitol Hill, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to do a prayer walk. I was reading through the book of Joshua, and one of the promises... So he felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to do a prayer walk. Uh Uh-huh jumped off the page and into my spirit. It says, I will give you everywhere you set your foot, just as I promised Moses. Well, as I read that promise, given... By the way, notice that he's taking a descriptive text and making it prescriptive, and he's ignoring the prescription in the prescriptive text that he read from. Given to Joshua, I felt like God wanted me to stake claim to the land he had called us to and pray a perimeter all the way around Capitol Hill. Part of me didn't want to do it because it was a hot and humid August morning. But I had this holy confidence that just as that promise had been transferred from Moses to Joshua, that God would transfer that promise to me if I had enough faith to circle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, again, descriptive text, turning it into a prescriptive text and ignoring the prescription in the prescriptive text. This is a big problem. He's mishandling God's word here. And so I drew what would be my first prayer circle, and it still ranks as the longest prayer walk I've ever done. Starting at the front door of our row house on Capitol Hill, I walked east on F Street and turned south on 8th Street. Across East Capitol and Pennsylvania Avenue, I walked all the way to the Navy Yard and turned west on M Street. And then north on South Capitol Street. I paused to pray on the west steps of the Capitol that faced the National Mall. And then I completed the 4.7 mile prayer circle by walking around Union Station and heading home. Now, remember, God the Holy Spirit prompted him to do this. He would be sinning if he didn't. And what, what, well, what, how did he get, come up with this? By misreading something from the book of Joshua. It's hard to describe what I felt when I finished praying that circle. My feet were sore, but my spirit soared. I felt that same kind of holy confidence the Israelites must have felt when they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground and finally stepped into the promised land for the first time. Took about three hours to complete that prayer circle, but God's been answering that prayer for the last 15 years. Since that August day that I drew that prayer circle around Capitol Hill, National Community Church has grown from a core group of 19 people into one church with seven locations around the metro D.C. area. And God's given us the privilege of influencing tens of thousands of people over those 15 years. But it all started with a prayer circle. I believe that every blessing, every breakthrough, every miracle, every dream has a genealogy. And if you trace it all the way back to its origin... You'll find a prayer circle. Those I believe. Notice he's not preaching a biblical text. He just believes that everything has all these things, these dreams and stuff have a genealogy that goes back to a prayer circle. Really? 
That's fine for you to believe that, but it's not a biblical teaching. Otherwise, the Bible would have Honey the Circle Maker in its text, and it doesn't. And it would teach us and prescribe for us that we would do prayer circles, and it doesn't. Blessings and breakthroughs and miracles and dreams are the byproduct of prayers that were prayed by you or for you. During my prayer walk around the hill, I drew circles around things I didn't even know how to ask for. Without even knowing it, I walked right by a crack house that would become Ebenezer's Coffee House, which we now own and operate. I walked under the marquee of an old movie theater on Barracks Row that's now our seventh campus, and I prayed around an $8 million piece of property that we now own debt-free where we'll build a future campus. If I had not drawn those prayer circles, I don't think we would own those properties. You see, God is right because, you know, he he had to obey God and do a prayer circle walk thing. And none of that would have happened if it wasn't for his faithfulness to the prayer circle concept that isn't taught in Scripture. Determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. Simply put. We have not because we ask not. Or maybe I should say, we have not because we circle not. The greatest tragedy in life are the prayers that go un... Now, the Bible does teach that sometimes we have not because we ask not. But it doesn't. It does, that does not translate into we have not because we circle not. That, those are not synonymous doctrines or teachings. Answered because they go unasked. But if you have the courage to circle the promise, circle the dream, circle the miracle, you never know how or when or where God might answer that prayer. All right, it's a little weird to be tag teaming with yourself. (laughs) Didn't even coordinate outfits with myself. But uh, listen... It was a desperate measure for me. Like, I just, like, I didn't know what to do. And so when you don't know what to do, sometimes you just pray like it depends on God. And sometimes that's when the best things happen. I I think... And yet if you pray Jesus' prayer that he prescribed in the text that you read from, then you'd realize that everything comes from God. All of our daily bread comes from him. Um, Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a lot about what you need to be circling in prayer. And I promise you, it's not always like a physical perimeter. And uh, this is no magic formula. There's no magic bullet, okay? Uh, God's not a genie in a bottle. Our wish is not his command. His command better be our wish. But when it's in the will of God and it's for the glory of God, then you better start circling that thing in prayer. Um, By the way, this week I was so blessed. It's been a joy to begin to hear stories of people who are reading The Circle Maker and and praying as a result. Um, And so a friend of mine who pastors a church up in New England um, uh, emails me this week. And this is so awesome. I love this guy. has a huge vision. Um, Church was planned a couple of years. Huge vision. Mm -hmm. Years ago. And New England's not the easiest place to plant a church, but uh, I think they had like 1,200 people at Christmas, and so God's using them to make an impact. And you know what this guy did? He said, I, I decided as I was reading his book, you know what? We're believing God for a six-state region from Monday to Friday. So a six-state region circle prayer. Mm, yeah. Friday this week, he drove 2,000 miles in his car 
all the way around a six-state region. You know, and to which I say, so what? Where in the Bible are we commanded to do that? You know what? He just got back yesterday, and, and we were talking about it. He said, you know what? I honestly don't know if anything is going to come of this, and I don't know any either. And that's not what it's about. There are just moments where you need to take desperate measures and pray and believe God and hold on to the horns of the altar and say, I'm not letting go. Now, I love this home. You know, I can't hang on to the horns of the altar because, well, they, they're not there anymore. Um, but I can pray what Jesus prescribed for me to pray daily. You know, um, weird story but let's be honest man you're, you're in a circle and you say i'm not coming out until god has has sends rain okay this could be weeks or months you could look pretty foolish but there are times where you need to back yourself into a corner draw yourself into a circle and say i'm gonna pray and pray through that's what this is talking about it's a shameless audacity because you know it's the will of god for the glory of god and you're going after it all right let me make a couple of observations about this passage. I know I'm talking fast, but stick with me. One, notice that this is not a selfish request. This guy isn't going to his friend at midnight and say, hey, I forgot to go to the grocery store. Can you give me three loaves of bread? Okay, um, I didn't study for my exams, but would you help me with them anyways? It's not that kind of prayer that like I didn't do my due diligence. And so God, would you bail me out? It's not a bailout prayer. It's like, man, I have a friend who came and I want to be hospitable. And I want, this isn't even for me, it's for them. And so let's make sure that we aren't praying selfish prayers, okay? And that's one observation from this story. But here's a second one. This one, would you just kind of hold on to it? Would you- yeah, you know, um, give us this day our daily bread. Um, yeah, when I'm praying that, um, yeah, I, I, I seem to have myself and my family in mind there. Um you want to comment on that? Because that's what Jesus prescribed for us. You're, you're ignoring the prescription. Would you turn it around uh, as you're thinking about this message uh, this weekend? Because I love this. In the original language, this phrase, because of your shameless audacity, carries with it the idea that God answers prayer to preserve his good name. Now, this is true. This is absolutely true of, of what's going on in this text. To preserve his good name. It's not your reputation that's on the line. It's his. It's almost like tithing. See, when I tithe, and Lord, I made that decision 19... <sighs> okay, yeah, another thing about tithing. 19 years ago, we're never not going to tithe. We're going to give God the first fruits. First 10% of our income is going back to God. So when I get a paycheck, I don't have to make that decision every time. We made that decision 19 years ago. And, and here's what I believe. When I tithe, I'm being obedient to Scripture. And, and so here's what I believe. Yeah, no, actually, the tithe is an Old Testament teaching that applied to the people who lived in Israel. It's just, it was for their support of the Levitical priesthood. Different thing altogether for Christians because we're not under the Mosaic law. Not at least that part of it for sure. Um, you know, if, if we were, then we'd have to bring our tithe into the storehouses in Israel. No, instead, Christians don't give under compulsion, but they give what they've set aside in their heart. Believe my finances are no longer my responsibility. It's awesome. It is awesome. They're God's responsibility because I'm walking and living and standing on his promise. And see, prayer is the same way. When you pray, it's not your reputation that's on the line. 
It's God's reputation. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes we are going to miss it and pray something dumb. And, and at the end of the day, we're going to thank God as much for the things he didn't answer as the things he did because we prayed them out of our lack of omniscience, okay? And, and so let's... I mean, how is it that you preach a sermon about praying and you read the biblical text where Jesus prescribes a prayer and you ignore Jesus's prescription and talk about anything other than that? How is this possible? Be honest about that. What I'm, what I'm saying is my job here is to push you and to stretch you. And there are times where we need to pray some bold prayers. So as people have been sharing stories with me, um, wow, I've heard some good ones. Can I share a couple of these stories with you? I mean, here, what the enemy wants to do is keep our testimonies private. Right. You got a text that says that? Because when we do that, we don't know how God's moving and what God's doing. And so then we aren't celebrating. the way. God is at work. God is on the move. His spirit is moving. It's just we don't share it with each other. So, man, well, I don't know if God's doing anything with them, so maybe I shouldn't share what God's doing with me. And, but I tell you what, as I'm starting to hear these prayer stories, man, my spirit is leaping. It's building my faith. And so I'm doing an interview this week, and, you know, I'm talking about the book, and, and then the, the host tells me this story. Um, uh, a missionary to Africa, Dr. Bob Bagley. Uh, he started a church uh, in Africa, and they literally met under a tree. Like that was their physical space where they had church. And one day the local witch doctor came out and cursed the tree. And it died. It withered. The leaves went away. They lost their shade. And so Dr. Bagley, what are you going to do? Here's what he did. He called a public prayer meeting for the entire village. And he laid hands on the tree. And he prayed that God would resurrect it. That's shameless audacity, isn't it? Of course, I have laid hands and prayed for a dead car battery before. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? You're praying for a dead tree. Okay, game on. Game on. Here we go. And, and, but you are putting it all on the line. You are going to look awfully foolish if nothing happens. But here's the deal. You can't let the enemy walk onto God's territory and do what he does and not stand up to it. And so he knew that he would lose all favor, all standing with that tribe. If he didn't publicly pray and believe God for America, here's what he prayed. And I love this. Here's what he prayed. It's not my name that's at stake. Yeah. See, he understood something very important. When you are praying the will of God, it's not your reputation that's at stake. It's God's reputation. Now, you know why some of us are afraid to pray bold, shameless, audacious prayers? is because we think our reputation is at stake. I want to tell you something. Write this down. If you aren't willing to risk your reputation, you will never establish God's reputation. Until you get to a point where you say... Yeah, really, because uh, here's the weird thing. Um Jesus prescribes a prayer that you know we lovingly in the church refer to as the Lord's prayer and he Jesus uses that parable to describe that prayer 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Jesus' parable is commentary on the prayer that he prescribed. You're not preaching and teaching that prayer. You're preaching a different form of prayer, a completely different mindset altogether. And basically trying to focus on the parable and ignore the prescription. I'm stepping out in faith. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. What am I doing? I'm laying hands on a tree. Till you get to that point, you will never experience the kind of miracles that God wants to do. The text doesn't say that. You want to know the rest of the story? No. Tree came back to life. Want to know what else? The only tree of its type in that village that yields its crop twice a year. Hallelujah. See, I need to hear that. I need to know that because I need to know that God is still in the miracle business. I want to tell you, he is. He is. You know what I've learned? Sometimes you just need to get a little bit desperate. You know, I read the Gospels and who does Jesus honor? Okay, a prostitute who crashes a party at a Pharisee's house just to wash his feet. Awkward. (laughs) A tax collector who climbs a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And what happens? They end up having lunch. Uh, Four friends who break and enter. It had to be trespassing to break through a roof to get their paralytic friend down to. And then a woman who cuts in line. I hate people who cut in line. But she's, she's like, you know what? I've had a physical illness for 12 years, and I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. And I find that Jesus honors people who are desperate for him. And so, and the funny thing is, is that if you'd preach the biblical gospel and preach the law correctly, then it would make people thirsty and desperate for him and for the forgiveness that he offered to all of those people. Because we desperately need Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. But we don't know just how desperately we are in need of that until we are wrecked by the preaching of God's law preached properly that reveals just how wicked and sinful and rebellious we are and that the wages of our sin is death and eternal damnation in the lake of fire. Yes, we are in desperate need of Jesus. And see, yeah, you know, that's all part of that prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah, we need his forgiveness. And what a bold prayer that is to pray to an eternal, righteous, just God who has promised to punish sin and pray for mercy. Yet he's not even keying in on the, well, the prayer that Jesus prescribed. Weird, huh? For the next 21 days, we're going to do prayer and fasting. I want to tell you something. Um, Fasting is a desperate measure. Okay? I'm just going to be honest. If there's any spiritual discipline that I struggle with, it's fasting. I'm going to tell you why, because I like food. But Let me real quickly get into some logistics, then we're done. I want us to do this thing together, but I've had the luxury of having some time to kind of plan this out. 
You need to tailor it to yourself, those 21 days. But I want to give you four simple things, okay? Uh, Number one, you need to set a time. You need to establish a time frame. And we've already done that for you in in a sense. Starts January 10, Tuesday, and ends January 3rd. We'll kick off with prayer and praise uh, on the 10th cap it off with prayer and praise. And then uh, most mornings, you'll see the schedule in your bulletin. We'll do AM prayer. Now, listen, I know that not everybody is going to be able to be there. And so what's more important to me is that you then um, secondly establish your own plan, because it's not just about coming together and praying. Now, that's part of it. So let me tell you what my plan is. Now, fasting is part of it for me because I just need to do that. And, and fasting is a form of spiritual purging, if you will. You know what? I need to just let go of things that are in my life, and I need to make sure that I've got that I'm, I'm in a place of humility and purity and a place of brokenness before the Lord. And that's what fasting is. It loosens the bonds of iniquity. It, it sets us free. There's a breaking I thought Jesus is the one who loosens and breaks the bonds of iniquity through his shed blood on the cross. I don't recall any passages in Scripture that attribute the uh, redemptive, sin-breaking, bond-breaking work of Jesus' cross to fasting. That would mean that we, we are set free from sin by our own efforts, not by what Christ has done. This is weird process that happens. In fact, it's the closest thing to a workout in the spiritual sense. When you work out, you break down muscles. Now, I went and worked out with Parker, and he has a lot of years on me. We went to the gym. He killed me. It was ridiculous. I was dying. I said, son, I'm about to throw up. You do the last set of reps. I am still sore this weekend. But here's what I did. I pushed my body, um, and I broke down my muscles. Brokenness. Why? So that I can build it back up and, uh, and, and my body then becomes strong. See, that's what fasting is. You break down pride. You, you break down, we lose our sensitivity to the Lord. Man, we got to break down our, our, our callousness to sin. Man, we need a heart that breaks for the things that break the heart of God. And you don't get that unless you get into a place where things are broken down in your life. And so I'm believing that God's going to break me down. So here's what I'm going to do. January 10th is a day of a complete fast, 24 hours. And I'm going to end on the 31st with a complete fast because that's how I want to cap it, begin and end it with a complete. And then in between, I'm going to do a Daniel fast. Well, that simply means fruits and vegetables. And so I am taking a lot of things out of my diet and, and I am living in a place of where Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from, from God. Now, let me tell you a couple of quick things, okay? I don't have a lot of time, but, but here's the deal. Fasting without scripture is just a diet. Do you hear me? This isn't about, I'm going to give up this and give up that and then do nothing else. Listen, can you imagine working out and having no protein in your diet? Well, then guess what? You're still broken down. You're not building back up. Well, without scripture in your diet, man, you need to consume it. You need to say, God, give me a voracious appetite for your word during these 21 days. I want to devour your word. Now, for me, I'm reading through all of the epistles in the New Testament. Why? Because I feel like that's been not a part of my diet as much. I've been more Old Testament lately. And so I'm going to get that back into my diet. So you need to establish a time frame, establish a plan. You still with me? 
okay? This is like the quickest teaching on fasting ever. You need to establish an objective. See, here's what's interesting, and maybe we'll tease this out more uh, in the weeks to come, but there are all kinds of different fasts. You can fast for deliverance. You can fast for revelation, fast for favor. You can fast for your family. You can fast to dedicate something to the Lord. You can fast for a breakthrough, but here's the kind of fast I'm talking about. A fast is just about seeking God. Don't seek answers. Seek God, and answers will seek you. I promise you. Don't seek blessings. You seek God, and blessings will seek you. They will find you if you seek God. This isn't about seeking the hand of God. It's about seeking the heart of God, saying, God, reveal yourself to us. It's about getting into the presence of God. And finally, you need to make a commitment. See, the problem is, is like, man, really enjoy that message. Yeah, the problem is this is all law, nothing to do with gospel. And this isn't, I mean, why is he ignoring Jesus's prescription for prayer? Maybe it's because he's teaching the book that he wrote rather than teaching God's word. Well, that's great. But what are you going to do about it? Like, I think sometimes we'll feel some conviction and then, you know, the next thing we know, we're on to the next thing. I mean, it's playoffs. Come on. I mean, and so... You know, you shift gears, whatever, and and we totally. And so, I am challenging you to make a commitment to say, "I'm in." Now, you need to define what that means for you. Okay, like maybe that's fasting lunch for. But I would even go deeper than that because you know what? Then if you don't really clearly define it, here's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, I won't eat from twelve to twelve fifteen. Oh, you're awesome. You're awesome. Amazing. You will cheat yourself, won't you? Maybe I'm just speaking because I know myself. If I don't clearly define what I'm fat, what I'm giving up, what I'm committing to, what I'm doing, then I begin cheating myself and I find loopholes. Define it. But at the end of the day, man, you got to get in on this. So all we're going to ask is that you fill out a connection card. And uh, when you fill out that connect, just maybe a name, an email. And honestly, if there's something that you want us to be praying about, then you write that out and we're going to circle it with you. And we're going to believe that God is going to do some wonderful things. And I promise you this, that your prayer will be answered by the 21st day. Did you take me seriously? That was a little bit too solemn. I make no promises. It might be the worst 21 days of your life. That's not the point. The point is, oh, and we're going to do this for 21 days, so then you don't have to pray the rest of the year. No, it's about establishing a habit. Here's what I do believe. I promise you that if you engage this for the right reasons, okay, you're seeking the will of God. You're seeking... If you engage this for the right reasons, so your actions have to be followed by... A sinless reason. Good luck. The glory of God. And you say, I'm in. I promise you that you will begin to pray about some things that God might not do it in 21 days, but months from now or years from now, you will trace back to these seasons of prayer and fasting. The genesis of breakthroughs in your life, the genesis of miracles in your life, you will look back and the Holy Spirit will remind you, do you remember when you circled that thing in prayer and by faith you said, I'm putting this in my Father's almighty hands and the day will come that we'll rejoice and we will look back.
you know, I obviously shared a little bit of some of the miracles. And, you know, in this instance, property. And I probably, there, it's a lot more important things to pray for. And the most important thing I circle, my kids. That's who I circle in prayer more than anybody else, more than anything else. So there are lots of different things. But, but here's the deal. For years and years, I mean, I, we didn't see any answer to that prayer. That was that just a pointless walk around Capitol Hill? You know, and here's the great joy. Uh, I mean, it is crazy to me that these properties that are miraculous, all of them are a miracle. They got, they're right on the prayer route. I mean, it's just crazy. But then here's what I love. Who would have thought 15 years ago, oh, Germany, here we come. Will come. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. Um, that was pathetic. Uh, man, I wouldn't have known we'd be in Kingstown. Come on. Kingstown, Georgetown. I mean, who would have known? Up in Columbia Heights, like, what is that about? Out at Boston, like, what is going on? Potomac Yard, like, who would have thought? You know, like reading uh, Jesus' prescription for prayer and completely ignoring it. Yeah, like what is going on? Who would have thought? But one of the things we're going to do is we're going to start circling those different locations and just believing that God's going to help us reach those communities in an even greater way. I think all of that to say, I'm excited. I'm excited about where God's going to take us. Let me close with this story. Because I think it's a, it's a picture of desperation. And it's a challenge for us to pray like it depends on God. He uh, never had a day of schooling in his life. Yet he lectured at Harvard. Okay, he grew up in a tent. He was invited by two different presidents on two different occasions to the White House. His name was Gypsy Smith. About 100 years ago, famous evangelist, crossed the Atlantic 45 times by boat, of course, uh, preached to millions of people, never preached without seeing at least uh, one person put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, powerfully used of God. And so one day, some people came to Gypsy Smith and said, man, would you teach us to to experience revival the way you've experienced revival? Like, we want to experience God the way that you have. Like, what do we do? And I love what he told them. He said, here's what you do. Go home. Go home. Lock yourself in your bedroom. Get on the floor. And with a piece of chalk, Draw a circle around yourself. And then here's what you do. Pray brokenly and fervently that God would send revival within that circle. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. All right, so there you go. Um, First sermon in the Circle Maker Sermon Series at uh, National Community Church in Washington, D.C. He read Jesus' prescription for prayer and ignored it, and instead inserted his own prescription for prayer uh, by misapplying descriptive texts. One of the primary problems with how people handle God's Word and mishandle and twist God's Word 
Uh, the whole foundation of the Circle Maker uh, book is built off of this way of mangling God's word. Narcissistic eisegesis, preaching and teaching about yourself, ignoring prescriptive texts, and, um, well, turning descriptive texts into prescriptions, which they are not. Sad, sad, very sad. Do I recommend that book? <laughs> no, not at all. Don't recommend it for anybody. If you want to learn how to pray, pray the way Jesus prescribed to his disciples. Stop and pray and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.